Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The biggest crisis of Joe Biden's presidency, of any presidency, really, uh, going back, what, 10, 15 years? And Joe Biden designates this guy to be the point man. Has the president spoken to any other world leaders since Kabul fell to the Taliban? Sorry, I was looking at the wrong person. Uh, He has not uh, yet spoken with any other world leaders. Uh, Myself, Secretary Blinken, uh, several other senior members of the team have been engaged on a regular basis with foreign counterparts. It's odd that Joe Biden's not talking to world leaders. Hey, we had a lot of partners in Afghanistan for a long time. Countries whose soldiers lost their lives. Britain, France, Canada, list goes on and on. By the way, this is Jake Sullivan, National Security Advisor. I don't think he's going to have the job for much longer. Joe Biden, what is he doing right now if he's not making phone calls? I mean, he told us for so long that he was friends with this president, spent more time with him than any world leader. All those stories. And he's not making phone calls. That's odd. And so is this. What happens to the billions dollar, of dollars worth of weaponry that the U.S. gave Afghanistan? Does the U.S. have a plan for that, or does it remain in the Taliban? We don't have a complete picture, obviously, of where every article uh, of defense materials has gone, but certainly a fair amount of it has fallen into the hands of the Taliban. And uh, obviously, we, we don't have a sense that they are going to readily hand it over to us at the airport. Every article of defense material. That's what he called articles of defense material. Guns, machine guns, tanks, heavy weapons, equipment. Now in the hands of the Taliban. This stuff should have been destroyed by our forces on the way out. But since we got out in such a ridiculous hurry, it's all there for the taking. And it's at the airport, Jake. Also this... And it doesn't mean because we don't have forces in that country that we're not going to fight on behalf of women and girls in human rights and human dignity. We are. We do in many other countries where we don't have active military participation. And we'll do it in Afghanistan, too. And we will attempt to use every measure of tool and influence we have along with our international allies and partners. Women and girls in Afghanistan are in big trouble under the Taliban. What tools are we going to use, Jake? What do you have in mind, a social media campaign? Because that's how it worked with the Obama administration. Remember the Bring Back Our Girls campaign when they kidnapped all those girls in Nigeria? 
may not remember that, but I do remember the social media campaign. It did a big fat nothing. This is our government obfuscating, confusing the issue, holding back key information. I hate to say this, but as much as I hate the Taliban, they at least had a real press conference actually today. They actually tried one, a real press conference from the Taliban. There they were sitting for a long time. Some of the questions seemed aggressive. Look, I could not follow. It was all in uh, foreign language. This is pretty wild though, huh? Right now, the Taliban, the Taliban have a Twitter account authorized by big tech, by Jack Dorsey. The Taliban is allowed on Twitter. And you know who? is still not allowed on Twitter, President Donald Trump. Is that totally bizarre, perverted, corrupt? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. All right, there are some images that are emerging from, uh, there are some horrific images, but also some bizarre and semi-funny ones. The Taliban go to the amusement park. Look at this. These guys have not seen conventional, uh, I don't know how to explain this, but they knocked themselves out at the uh, bumper car uh, place. They also got in some exercise inside the presidential palace. Um, you can see that this is not what they do normally, but most disturbingly is um, their access to our weapons. What we gave the Afghan military, they now have, including advanced night vision goggles, rifles of all sorts, and they've got American-made helicopters like Black Hawk helicopters, Apache helicopters, some old-time Russian helicopters as well. Uh, and now it belongs to the Taliban. We should have at least destroyed this stuff on the way out, or this is bad. This is bad. Do we want innocent people shot with our equipment? Of course we don't. Of course we don't. I want to go back for a moment to the hideous scenes from yesterday. You saw it, those people surrounding that plane. Now, here's, I guess, later in the day, uh, there were fewer people on the runway, but more people hanging off the side of the plane. You see that right there? What happened next? Now watch this footage. Take this full, if you will. This is later in the day, fewer people on the runway, but you'll see more on the actual plane. These folks actually think they're going to go where this plane is going, and some of them actually strapped themselves into position somehow. Some fell to the earth, but others stayed on that plane in flight. Take a look at this picture, if you would. That person is dead, uh, unfortunately, sadly, still strapped to the side of an American C-17. Desperately, he was desperately trying to flee that country. Meanwhile, Joe Biden came back from vacation <laughs> uh, at 1.30 in the afternoon, made his way to the White House, gave that speech, and then what did he do when he was done with the speech? Went back to his vacation, 457, he gets back on uh, Marine One, he's already on, and he flies off to uh, Camp David or Delaware or wherever he's been keeping a low profile. We are now hearing that he will be back, Camp David. Camp David is a vacation spot, it is. And he's alone, he's alone. Even according to the, look at that picture, he is alone, and that is bizarre. Uh, we are hearing that he'll be back at the White House tonight, uh, close to nine o'clock. Did you see this, though, when Joe Biden made his uh, speech yesterday where he blamed Trump, where he said he was taking responsibility, but he wasn't taking responsibility. He was by himself. And something that leaped out at me because every other speech he gives lately, 
Usually Kamala's right there. Kamala Harris is always by his side, uh, except yesterday. And I kind of understand why, because this is looking like the fiasco of all fiascos, isn't it? All right. Uh, I did mention Joe did not take responsibility. He blamed Trump. But he also said something about where the buck stops. I am president of the United States of America, and the buck stops with me. The buck stops with me. I never liked that slogan. I first learned it when I was watching a speech by Jimmy Carter. Good evening. Tonight I want to have an unpleasant talk with you about a problem that's unprecedented in our history. With the exception of preventing war, this is the greatest challenge that our country will face during our lifetime. All right, he was talking about energy, which we pretty much figured out. But look at that thing on his desk in front of him. When I was seven years old and saw this speech, I'm like, what is that thing? And it says the buck stops here. And I figured out what that means. And uh, anyway, now that Joe Biden is using that phrase, it actually got me thinking, Joe Biden and Jimmy Carter, man, right now this feels a lot like the failed Iran hostage uh, rescue mission, remember that? And these guys even look alike. And I hate to say it, but it's true. They're both losers. They really are. And Joe Biden, you know, they tried to straighten him out a long time ago. When he first got to the Senate, they did. They saw that he was a lost soul and they tried to work on him. Joe even told us about it. And a senator named Mansfield, who was a majority leader, took me under his wing and said he wanted me, and he would, I insisted meeting with me every Tuesday at two o'clock. That was at a town hall last fall, and Joe goes on for about 10 minutes trying to tell this story about how Mansfield said, you never question a man about his motives. You question his methods, but you assume he's coming from a, from a good place. Actually, Joe actually summed it up too. I learned from him, he said, it's always appropriate to question another man's judgment, but not their motive. Once you question a senator's motive, you can never get anything done. And that's the first lesson he seems to have forgot when he became president. Sick. It's sick. The Republican voters I know find this despicable. Republican voters. Stand up for God's sake and help prevent this concerted effort to undermine our election and the sacred right to vote. Have you no shame? We have to ask, are you on the side of truth or lies, fact or fiction, justice or injustice, democracy or autocracy? That's what it's coming down to. He's questioning everybody's motives. If you're not with him, you're against him. If you're not with him, you are an autocrat. It's wild. He really has come apart and he forgot. Maybe he never learned all those lessons that he was supposed to. In the meantime, that we're seeing this crisis in Afghanistan, it reminds me just how stupid the conversation in this country has been for the past year, at least even longer. This country is steeped and rooted in white supremacy. White supremacy terrorism is one of the biggest threats facing the nation. White supremacy is, is the world we're all existing in. White supremacy and the denial of its impact is as American as apple pie. The threat of white supremacy looms large. The threat from Islamic terrorism looms largest. It's so stupid how he wasted so much time on a non-issue and look at what has happened as a result. There's only so many hours in the day, folks. 
and Washington took their eye off the ball in the biggest possible way. So much of the country did as well. I'll be right back. Rob Carson, host of the Newsmax Daily Podcast. Tired of boring traditional news updates? How about one with a conservative point of view and it's actually funny? You can subscribe for free on the Apple Podcast app and it downloads directly to your smartphone so you can listen while driving, uh, to work, riding a bike, at the gym, or even while lobster fishing off the East Coast. Subscribe today with the Apple Podcast app or go to NewsmaxTV.com slash podcasts for other platforms. Something's coming. All I can say is that the fake news just doesn't get it, do they? They let Joe Biden get away with so much, and now he has even screwed up the Kabul Afghanistan commute. Have you seen these pictures of the traffic jams? Look, I know there are so many bad things happening over there. I'll get to them in a moment, but look at this. Everyone's trying to get the heck out of that country, and who can blame them, especially women? Everything changes now for them. Now, the Taliban, just look at that guy. He's pointing a rifle at women. I believe this is not, this is just outside the airport. Um, now, the Taliban, they put out an announcement. They will honor women's rights in accordance with Islamic law, which to me reads as Sharia law, which allows all kinds of horrible things to happen to women. Um, this is the Taliban's view of, uh, women in their political future in Afghanistan. Taliban president. Would that still include women's rights and a democracy? So would you believe in the democratic vote, though? So would people be allowed to vote in women politicians? <laughs> The idea of women holding political office in Afghanistan under the Taliban is laughable to the Taliban. It's not allowed under Sharia law. But right now, women and girls, they are on their own. Now, I heard from the White House, well, we're going to support them. How? Through social media campaigns? You know, they tried that before. Remember those girls who went missing in Nigeria a couple of years ago? 200 of them uh, kidnapped by the terror group Boko Haram. What did we do? A social media campaign. I remember Michelle Obama, first lady at the time, smugly holding up that sign like this was going to make a difference. Even Ellen joined in. These kinds of campaigns don't mean anything. But that's, quite frankly, all we got right now. Hashtags and things like that to... Uh, Please don't bother the women. Is that going to work? Is that going to work? Where is the far left on all of this? The far left that is supposed to be so committed to human rights, especially the rights of women. You know, they totally lost it at the prospect of Judge Kavanaugh getting to the Supreme Court. And then maybe, conceivably, if he voted on a certain issue in the future, it might be less convenient to get an abortion in Louisiana. And they did this. If they really cared about women, 
I think they should be marching on the Pentagon right now, or the White House, and the White House. Yeah, if they really cared about women. Meanwhile, what does America's favorite liberal, not my favorite guy, but he is probably their favorite uh, liberal, say about all this? We've had troops there for 20 years. They fought, they sacrificed, their families sacrificed so that we wouldn't have a terrorist attack in America planned in a foreign country. Why should our soldiers be fighting radicals in a civil war in Afghanistan? We've got our own on Capitol Hill. Ha, ha, ha. This is a very popular idea with the far left. Michael Moore, the filmmaker, put this out. Their Taliban, our Taliban, everybody's got a Taliban. They're at their best when they confiscate the halls of power, likening what happened on January 6th to... It is ludicrous. And, and real quick, when they call it an um, insurrection, it was not an insurrection. Uh, we're seeing a real insurrection in Afghanistan. This was a riot that got out of hand. It didn't have to, by the way. Thank you, Nancy Pelosi. And four hours later, things were back to normal in the halls of Congress. Boy, they're desperate to milk this. I want to tell you about one other thing that I've noticed over the years uh, that I think led to this moment where we are right now the military overstating the effectiveness of first the Iraqi military and then the Afghan military. I was in the military, the American military, for about nine years, active, 20 in the reserves altogether. And um, there's a can-do attitude, and that's great, but sometimes it goes too far, and they only present information in the rosiest of terms, and sometimes it can get downright deceptive or maybe they're just fooling themselves, but I saw a lot of this over the years. We, we've made tremendous strides, incredible progress in the last 20 months uh, as I've watched this mission uh, to unfold from when we first stood up NATO, the NATO Training Command. Uh, we, you know, as you well know, we fielded over 100,000 new police and army uh, soldiers. They're probably the best trained, the best equipped, and the best led of any forces we've developed yet inside of Afghanistan. Sir, yes, sir. Absolutely, sir. Oh, they're great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love them, but it's a tendency that happens too often. And maybe it's time to reevaluate military culture. I should know. Again, I told you I've been there nine years active duty, but I wasn't quite a yes man. And I didn't present things the way some folks wanted to. There's a reason why I'm not a general. <laughs> I'll be right back. So the top terrorist in Afghanistan is this guy, one of them, and uh, we had him. He was in Gitmo, in custody, our custody, a prisoner, but we let him go. He's now calling the shots in Afghanistan, but we let this guy go in exchange for Bo Bergdahl. Remember that guy? Yes, the soldier who uh, wandered over to see what al-Qaeda was up to and started hanging with them. We uh, exchanged Bo Bergdahl. Uh, they gave, well, they gave us him, and we gave them, uh, let's see, his name is Karqua, and four other bad guys. And this at the time was actually celebrated by Barack Obama. President Obama even had the parents of this traitor over to the Rose Garden like this was some beautiful event. It was terrible, and obviously, damaging to national security. 
You know who called it out? You know who had uh, the number of Bergdahl in this whole arrangement the entire time? Our president doesn't have a clue. He's a bad negotiator. He's the one that did Bergdahl. We get Bergdahl, they get five killer terrorists that everybody wanted over there. We get Bergdahl, we get a traitor. We get a no good traitor. And they get the five people that they've wanted for years. And those people are now back on the battlefield trying to kill us. That's the negotiator we have. Now, when the elites heard this, oh, it doesn't work that way. No, it can never work that way. Of course, it's not going to. It's worked out that way. He's almost always right. All right. Speaking of uh, Obama, he's hanging with Bruce Springsteen and doing all kinds of spectacular things. Try perusing his uh, Instagram. It's got one spectacular picture of him being cool somewhere uh, as he gets rich. Something interesting happened, though, last night. People went to his Instagram page and pleaded with him, Mr. President, you have to do something about Afghanistan. Do something. Support them. Say something. So many comments, thousands of them, that whoever runs this thing, Michelle, I guess, turned off the feature where you could place comments because it was getting embarrassing. It was getting awkward. So they shut down the comments. How about that? Look, the, th the truth is he's not going to do anything for Afghanistan if he won't do anything for the children of Chicago, as we have been desperately calling him to do, because he could broker peace. He, this is my idea. What do you think? Am I crazy? It actually could work. If he goes to Chicago, rolls up his sleeves, negotiates a truce between these warring gangs that are killing children, he still commands respect in that community. He could save lives, but he won't do it because... There's a possibility that, I think small possibility, that'll fail. He may not look totally cool, and that's why he won't do it. What a shame. If he did, he'd really be worthy of that Nobel Peace Prize. When I come back, Dinesh D'Souza and Curtis Houck. Joining me today uh, is our national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, who will provide an update on Afghanistan and then uh, take some of your questions. And with that, I'll turn it over to Jake. Tag, you're it. Nobody wants to talk about Afghanistan in the Biden administration. Uh, that guy looked like a hostage later when he was taking actual questions. Jake Sullivan, I don't think he's going to be the national security advisor for much longer. This is such a fiasco. Look, the media, let's face it, uh, they protected Joe Biden uh, during the campaign and for much of his presidency. And also, they never seem to talk about Afghanistan in a substantive way. It hardly ever came up during the campaign. I'd like to bring in Dinesh D'Souza, host of the Dinesh D'Souza podcast, author of many books, a great filmmaker as well, and a noted conservative thinker, Dinesh, welcome. And also Curtis Houck, managing editor of Newsbusters uh, and one of the smartest guys in Washington. Gentlemen, how do you grade the media so far on all this? Dinesh, first to you, if you don't mind. Well, I think the media reaction has been... Um you know, quite sycophantic. They've been trying to cover up the uh, gross incompetence of the uh, Biden administration. They've allowed the Biden people to try to shift the blame onto Trump, even though, number one, Biden didn't have to go along with Trump with the withdrawal. Number two, Biden had drawn up with his team the withdrawal plan. Number three, they're the ones who carried it out. So it's their plan from start to finish. It's very difficult to say what Trump would have done had he still been in office, but one would have assumed he would have had his own plan. 
Yes. And, you know, Curtis, I have heard for many years the excuse from political reporters because they can be very nasty, very superficial. Look, we got to be tough on these guys. So they're good when they actually become president. But they never really apply that kind of pressure to him during the campaign. And to the extent that they do provide a function or a service, they didn't in this case. Does that make sense? Absolutely, Greg. And it was made worse by the fact that we had COVID last year and the Biden campaign decided to throw Biden in the basement and not allow him to come out for months on end. You and I talked about this. One of the first times I came on your show, this is very similar to Congress taking its eye off the oversight ball as discussed in the 9-11 Commission report. The reporters took their eye off of their oversight ball purposefully, in my opinion, from asking all candidates, including Biden, about Afghanistan. That was really one of those issues where you have every campaign an issue that really isn't talked about enough, uh, and it's a really bad situation. Usually something always then happens the following year. Um, so you really don't know how a certain candidate would have handled it, or some of us do have an idea, but not enough of the American public would as well. So yes, as Dinesh was saying, you look at MSNBC in particular, Nicole Wallace and Brian Williams uh, were thrown out there yesterday, mm. and they said it was such a consequential address here. Everything's fine, and uh, it, it just betrays the situation on the ground. It's they Their rhetoric is saying one thing. Nicole Wallace was smiling with Linda Thomas-Greenfield this afternoon like everything's great, but then you juxtapose that with the video that you're seeing of people falling off the planes to their death, people being beaten in the street as you're getting towards the airport. And now the press are realizing, oh, right. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Our, our guy's not helping us. Well, during the campaign, we couldn't talk about Afghanistan because we had to save time and space for white supremacy. Let's take a look. This country is steeped and rooted in white supremacy. White supremacy terrorism is one of the biggest threats facing the nation. White supremacy is, is the world we're all existing in. White supremacy and the denial of its impact is as American as apple pie. The threat of white supremacy looms large. <laughs> the threat from Islamic terrorism looms largest. White supremacy is a borderline joke, in my opinion. Dinesh, when you see that, what are your thoughts? I mean, this is just absolutely laughable. And I think what's scary is that we're not just seeing this on the part of the media, but uh, this uh, is also part of the doctrine of the Defense Department. It's the doctrine of our intelligence agencies. It's the doctrine of the CIA and the FBI. So imagine, you know, here is General Milley, and he's talking about the fact that he's trying to understand white rage. And meanwhile, what is the Taliban doing? They're planning their final coordinated assault on Kabul. So the Taliban knows exactly what they're doing. Here's General Milley having fantasies of I don't know what, putting troops in high heels, maybe transgender surgeries, transgender bathrooms. So we have our eye off the ball. They have their eye on the ball. And it shows you how a peasant army of a few thousand people, but with determination and ruthless purpose, can in a sense defeat the most powerful military in the world if the powerful military is thinking about fantasies about putting on a dress. <laughs> it, it is. It was amazing to hear him talk about white rage and critical race theory. You know, there are only so many hours in the day, and to focus to talk about that stuff, you have to take. You have to avoid the important stuff, and I think we're living with the consequences. I want to play this from the campaign. Uh, an example of all the softballs they were throwing Joe Biden's way in an effort, I believe, to protect him. 
When you hear these remarks, suckers, losers, recoiling from amputees, what does it tell you about President Trump's soul and the life he leads? Last night, President Trump mocked you for wearing a mask and said that this is a sign that you must have some, quote, big issues. I wonder if you worry that this kind of language that comes from the President of the United States could deter some Americans who are tuning into him to not wear masks. Let me ask you about another thing the President said last night. He once again suggested to his supporters that they should consider voting twice if they're in one of those states that can allow you to request an absentee ballot. Just curious what you make of it. <laughs> that was just not very long before Election Day, and it was so easy. Joe, what do you think of how bad Trump is? I want to show you the briefing room from today. This is Jake Sullivan in front of the press, and I noticed something, uh, Curtis. Uh, the question should have been, in my opinion, a lot harder, a lot sharper. There was no momentum gathered. Peter Ducey from Fox News, for whatever reason, was not in the room. And he is like the guy these days. What did you think? What do you think of the coverage now today? We talked about how we got here. What about what's happening right now? Well, you're right to point out about Peter Ducey, and that was definitely disappointing. The issue with the number of reporters' questions today, in addition to the substance, was some of them were way too long that allowed Jake Sullivan to evade and dodge and really move on. Uh, shorter questions, tighter questions are how you really get to somebody like that. Weijia Zhang, to her credit, had a series of questions asking, well, what are you going to do? How are you going to ensure that all Americans are safely out of the country because they can't get to the airport right now? And Jake Sullivan really was pinned down because she kept her questions short. You had these long answers uh, that he was giving and long questions from reporters. So it really doesn't they cancel themselves out and it benefits no one amidst all of this. China and Russia are laughing at us. You look combine the General Milley clip and stuff that we were talking about earlier and the questions from these reporters during the campaign. And they are laughing at us while we're talking, looking, you know, telling people to read Robin D'Angelo and Ibram X. Kendi, you know, Ukraine must be really scared about what mm. Russia's doing. Taiwan, you think about what they're doing. Jake Sullivan said today that that should be, you know, America spending 20 years in Afghanistan is proof that our commitments to them are as strong as yeah. ever. No, the press needed to press him on that. And that's something that we should hopefully see going forward. But I doubt we will. Dinesh D'Souza, you're an expert on Barack Obama. You made that very interesting and very well done film about uh, about him. Uh, I want to show you his Instagram uh, or tell you about what happened to him. Comments, they shut down the comments on his Instagram page, the Obamas did, because they were so negative. They were pleading with him to say something about Afghanistan, to do something about Afghanistan. And it was getting embarrassing for him. And, uh, you know, he's all about being cool what are your thoughts on Barack Obama's role in all of this? You know, a lot of us think that he's actually pulling the strings in this Biden, so-called Biden White House. I think he is, too. And, uh, you know, these are guys who uh, their policies are defined by undermining America. I mean, if you simply look at the record of Democratic presidents in office, think about Carter. Uh, Carter basically didn't know what to do when the Soviets invaded Afghanistan in 1979. Uh, he pulled the rug out from the Shah of Iran, and we got Khomeini. We've been living with the Iranian revolution for 50 years. Uh, with Clinton, they knew exactly where bin Laden was. He's giving sermons in the Kandahar Mosque. Uh, and yet they couldn't get him. Reporters were interviewing him left and right, but somehow the CIA, the U.S. government couldn't find him. So with Barack Obama, you had the Arab Spring. Our ally Mubarak goes down in Egypt and we get the Muslim Brotherhood. And now with Biden, 
uh, we're back to the same thing. So we're seeing a record of catastrophic failure, incompetence, defeatism, malaise, to use Carter's own term. And all the press is trying to do is take attention away from it. I mean, to me, the classic expression was CNN, where they said, oh, yeah, you know, they're, they're chanting debt to America, but they seem really nice. It's kind of like in the 1930s. Yeah, they're chanting, you know, Heil Hitler. But, gee, they, they all got smiles on their faces, guys. <laughs> I did notice also they're trying to turn the page back to COVID. This is a big story, but it's becoming smaller quite fast. And they want to talk about And Curtis, as hard as they are in those press conferences, their reports at night aren't that hard. I'll leave you with the last 10 seconds, if you don't mind. That's exactly right, Greg. They'll have these tough exchanges, but they don't air them on evening newscasts. The print stories may be a little tough, but they'll be buried in paragraph 25 or 34. And yeah, isn't that really interesting? You would think you put a lot of effort into your questions. You would think you would want to lead with that in your newscasts and your news stories, but alas, they're not. Curtis Houck from uh, Newsbusters. Check it out. Great website. And uh, Dinesh D'Souza, host of the Dinesh D'Souza podcast and all those books and movies. Thanks very much, gentlemen. Thanks, Greg. All right, we'll be right back. The catastrophe that we're seeing in Afghanistan is uh, obviously heartbreaking. You know, a lot of us here in New York, though, we think back. The war in Afghanistan, in a way, and for all Americans, it started right here in New York City on September 11, 2001, when the terrorists took down those towers. The uh, plane, of course, also was crashed into the Pentagon, also Flight 93 in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. On September 11, 2001, this city was fortunate to have some extraordinary leaders on hand, Rudy Giuliani and Police Commissioner Bernie Carrick, seen here a few days after 9-11 with George W. Bush. Uh, they all provided extraordinary leadership, in my opinion, on 9-11 and in the aftermath, the weeks and months that followed. We thought it'd be appropriate, actually, to check in with Commissioner Carrick. Of course, he was there that day. And to get his thoughts on how we, how we seem to have blown it uh, 20 years later. Uh, Commissioner, welcome back to Newsmax. How are you? I'm good, Greg. Thank you. So what are you thinking as you as you see this uh, horrific failure overseas and uh, you were there at the very, very beginning? What are you thinking right now? You know what, Greg, as somebody that was there when the second plane slammed through the, the north side of Tower 2, um, lived through that day in the aftermath, to watch what happened yesterday in Afghanistan was stunning, was shocking. I uh, I remember back in, I think it was October, I think it was October 7th, uh, 2001, um, I was on the way to a Yankee game that night, one of the Yankee games, and Mayor Giuliani called me and he said, I just got a call from the president, and it's happening tonight. And it was that we were going into Afghanistan to hold the people responsible for what had happened in the United States on September 11th. And I diverted, didn't make it to the Yankee game, but basically we went down and secured the entire city um, that night, anticipating there could be retaliation attacks uh, in the aftermath of the attack in Afghanistan. To watch yesterday's footage, it, I, I, I feel like somebody ripped my heart out of my chest. 
Um, that was not what was supposed to happen. I think there was failed leadership at, at magnitudes that I've never seen before. There was no extraction plan for the Americans. There was no plan to remove the, our military resources and weapons, or at least destroy them. This is a catastrophic failure by Joe Biden and this administration that I think is inexcusable. Totally concur, and I am, uh, uh, it's so sad what's happening. But I wanna go back actually to the, the years of training the Afghan military and training the Iraqi military. Uh, you actually helped train initially the Iraqi security forces after the invasion of Iraq. I want to play you some sound from a general. This is 10 years ago, giving his assessment of the Afghan military at the time. We, we've made tremendous strides, incredible progress in the last 20 months uh, as I've watched this mission uh, to unfold from when we first stood up NATO, the NATO training command. Uh, we, you know, as you well know, we fielded over 100,000 new police and army uh, soldiers. They're probably the best trained, the best equipped, and the best led of any forces we've developed yet inside of Afghanistan. You know, Bernie, we both served in the military, you in the Army, myself in the Marine Corps. Uh, I've seen that attitude before. Sir, yes, sir, we're doing an outstanding job. Everything's great. We're doing, we're seeing incredible gains. Uh, but sometimes it's just not true. Sometimes it's spinning. And I, I feel like the military has to take a good hard look at that culture because a lot of these guys were telling that to political leaders like George W. Bush when it wasn't necessarily the case. And I think that may have contributed to the problem we're in today. You know what, uh, Greg, that's a really, really good point. There's a, there's a far cry difference between the PowerPoint presentations that are given to the administration by the military commanders and what's actually going on on, on the ground. But I, I'll tell you something, I watched the spokesperson for the Defense Department the day before yesterday talk about Afghanistan, and he was overly confident that there was not gonna be problems, that it was under control, that everything was gonna work the way it should be. And less than 24 hours later, 12 hours later, it was mass chaos. So you have to wonder, what, what was that guy talking about? Who briefed him? Who told him that? And what was Joe, where was Joe Biden? Where was he? What was he doing? There's a photo of him sitting in a command center. I have to tell you, I look at that photo and it gives me chills. Where's the executive staff? Where's the national security advisors? Where's the crisis command and, and control people? It's stunning. It is beyond stunning. We're looking at that photo right now, uh, Commissioner, and uh, you're right. This is this is just this is not a wartime president. This is this is a guy who's out. To, this is a bystander. He's a bystander it, in his own administration. That, that's that, that. Look at that photo. Look at that photo. You, you know, I've got dozens of photos in the aftermath of 9-11 of, of me and the mayor and the entire city of New York, every city agency, every state agency, the federal government's represented. OEM was there, a table with 60 people at it to ensure that we were getting the city the resources it needed to do the job that had to be done. This is an international crisis. And he's sitting there like a bump on the log, 
God knows what he's doing or what he's thinking, or even if he's awake. I don't know. This is this is outrageous. So, Bernie, we have uh, chaos overseas, and unfortunately, we've been dealing with this for a long time. Chaos at home, crime out of control in so many cities. Let's take New York for a moment. I want to show the folks in the daytime in Brooklyn. Lots of people live there. A woman is shot, I believe, by another woman right here on the street. And this is and gets walks away rather calmly uh, with no expectation that she'll be apprehended anytime soon. This city is out of control. And what can be done about it? I have very little faith in political leadership. Uh, what's going to happen next? Well, look, Greg, I, I think this is sort of you, you have to look at it this way. This is the Democratic way. This is the Democrat Party way, right? They've given up the streets of our major cities around the country, and they've given up the entire country of Afghanistan. This is the way they operate. Why? Who knows? But the bottom line is none of this is going to change until there's new leadership. There has to be new leadership in New York City that's going to force the prosecutors to prosecute, that's going to give the police back the authority um, to do their job and send them out to do that job. And then we need a governor, like a real governor, a governor that's working. Um, we need a governor that's going to institute laws and make sure laws are on the books that don't let prisoners out of prison, out of jail, that holds them accountable. No more bail reform. You need a new governor, prosecutors, and a new mayor to do the job that they were sworn to do by the Constitution of the United States. Well, we have a new prosecutor here who says resisting arrest should not be against the law. Uh, so, and, and that, that person's just coming in. Commissioner Carrick, you got to keep doing what you're doing. Keep fighting, keep speaking out. Former Police Commissioner Bernie Carrick, a true American hero. Uh, to be continued, sir, many thanks. Thank you, Greg. All right, we'll be right back. One of the reasons why the Afghan military uh, just dissolved and didn't put up a fight It's true. <laughs> they were smoking pot left and right. The Guardian did a big profile about this um, about a dozen years ago, but I think the story still has legs. I think if they introduced drug testing to the Afghan army, uh, we would lose probably three quarters to maybe 80, 85 percent of the army. It requires telling them almost 30 times. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. These U.S. Marines are embedded tactical trainers, also known as ETTs, and their job is to mentor the fledgling Afghan army. You get over here and you walk into a whole squad of ANA smoking hashish. They don't understand that the use of drugs, it affects the way that they, they accomplish their mission. It ultimately, it affects their ability to protect their nation and get Afghanistan on its feet. It's not just a complete lack of discipline. Lack of strong leadership is also a big problem. This army is really upsetting me now. In fact, you can't really call it an army at all. 
I'm just losing interest in it. But what can we do? They've recruited totally the wrong kind of men. They're all stupid and ignorant. These young men are a bunch of delinquents. They're only here because they've been driven out of their villages for misbehaving. Delinquents and stupid and high. Those are not the ingredients for a winning army. Very sad. Thanks for joining us. Please spread the word and stand by for Stinchfield.